Does your dog really feel love? Is he really aware of your love and the emotions of others around him? Do animals have souls? Does your pet think about death? How will you handle the death of your companion? Are you terrified by the thought of seeing your pet suffer? Hi, I'm Greg Tilford and welcome to Your Vital Pet. My guest for this episode has been investigating these and many other weighty questions for decades. As a child, Dr. Carlene Stange wanted to be an animal doctor even before she knew the word veterinarian. After graduation from Colorado State University Veterinary School in 1985, she practiced large and small animal medicine near Durango, Colorado. Today, Dr. Stange manages a busy practice from her county home treating animals with acupuncture, herbal medicine, and nutritional therapies. Dr. Stange's spiritual journey began as she drove her pickup truck loaded with medical supplies to attend to animals throughout southwestern Colorado. As an ambulatory veterinarian, she experienced the challenges, sorrows, and joys of working with creatures great and small. By sharing intimate moments with these non-human beings, Carlene came to feel a powerful kinship with them that goes beyond feathers, flesh, and fur. She wanted to understand the non-physical aspect of animals and spent over 20 years in research. Her book, The Spiritual Nature of Animals, A Country Vet Explores the Wisdom, Compassion, and Souls of Animals, chronicles her amazing journey through the world's religious, philosophical, scientific, and spiritual traditions, as well as stories about the magnificent Rocky Mountain terrain and the quirky characters, both animal and human, who inhabit it. Dr. Stange learned that there is no death, suffering does have a purpose, and we are all one, connected in spirit. Dr. Stange, thank you for joining us on Your Vital Pet. I can't wait to get started on this. Well, thanks for uh, having me on your show, Greg. I've known you for a long time, and it's really great to reconnect. Yeah, it's come. one of the things that really has come um, into awareness with me is just how much we think alike and how we're kind of following the same path of, of loving animals, so to speak. I mean, in my life, in my realization, in my career path, I've come to realize that animals really serve us in so many amazing ways that really it's, it's on them. I mean, we're only giving them a place to live and giving them good food and giving love and care, but they're really bringing a lot into the human existence. And it's just a matter of learning how to listen and pay attention to what their lessons are. Right. They definitely are here for our lessons, yeah. and and we are for them. We share everything with them. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling what what the, the body of research that you found with regard to how we've revered and worshipped <laughs> these animals, really as long as we've been around. And you know, it's often said that animals have no soul, that they don't love like we do, or they can't love. And you know, and then there's the the arguments about animal domestication and dogs have been part of humankind for 20 or 30,000 years maybe but by reading your book looking at your book I, I've come to realize that this has been going on a lot longer than than just 20 or 30,000 mm-hmm. years right mm-hmm. from the beginning of time right from the beginning of life on earth right absolutely and you know I think maybe you agree with this too that 
the key to understanding them is to spend time with them and to open your heart and mind to them mm. and try mm -hmm. to, trying to look past our own, as I kind of put it, our own weaknesses and our own human condition to embrace just how powerful and special they really are. Yeah, I, I just, one of the things that just made me crazy in my early veterinary years is how could people say things? You know, I heard these three main beliefs that people said. One is animals do not feel complex emotions such as love. The second was non-human animals are not conscious. And the third was non-human animals do not have souls. And that made no sense to me. From, from what I'd seen. Can I give you a story to explain why Please. it made me crazy? Yeah, absolutely. One day, I was work, one day I was working at the animal hospital, a woman came in carrying a fishing basket. And she started out by saying, I've never liked cats, but I've noticed these feral cats living in the woods near my house. And then she went on to explain that it was a warm spring day and she had the sliding glass door open to her deck and she was on the telephone when she saw these two cats come onto her deck. But before she had time to react, they stuck their head through the door and dropped this, she said, as she opened the fishing basket. And inside was this very tiny, very fuzzy, butterscotch-colored kitten. It was very emaciated and hungry. And so imagine my confusion. What kind of unloving, unconscious, soulless beings would venture into enemy territory to drop their starving baby at the doorstep. You know, and we veterinarians, we see this kind of, of compassionate behavior among animals all the time. So I just, you know, I thought, this isn't right. I need to understand. So I went on to do the research. And then regarding love, here, here's the test to determine who loves you more, your dog or your spouse. You lock each one in the trunk of a car for an hour and find out which one's happy to see you when you let them out. <laughs> so right. that's a joke. Yep. But it rings true. It does. I mean, it's intuitively obvious that animals love their offspring, they love their companions, and they love the affection of their favorite humans. So, you know, I'm like, what do you mean animals don't feel love? So I, I couldn't understand how people can say this. The other one was consciousness. You know, um, how can they say an animal is not conscious when eyes of a veterinarian can make an animal unconscious with anesthesia, right? Animals dream. That's a state of consciousness. You can watch our little paws going and they're whimpering. They're dreaming. And so, <laughs> you know, why are we saying these illogical things about animals? And so, I mean, a turtle may be more aware, aware than a human with dementia. We're, why do we think we're so superior? And I, I believe the Bible answers that question. And it's, it, it also answers the question of, do animals have souls? And if you, you got to realize first that nowhere in the Bible does it say that animals do not have souls or eternal spirits. On the contrary, Ecclesiastes 3.18 through 19 states, I said in my heart with regard to the sons of men that God is testing them to show them that they too are beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. And they all have the same breath from the Hebrew word ruach, meaning spirit. They all have the same spirit. 
and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. It's our human vanity that makes us think we're superior. Our egos make us think we're superior to the other animals, but the Bible tells us we're the same. We're animals too. Humans don't have sonar like bats and dolphins, and we don't have the vision of an eagle or the sense of smell of a bear. We can't shape shift and change the color of our skin like an octopus. But the one thing humans do have in superior quantities to the other animals is the ego. And the ego makes us more creative, like beavers make dams, but we make hydroelectric plants. Okay, we're creative and we're very attached to our creations. And our ego is that creativity, but it has a dark side, that self-serving, selfish viewpoint. So we think we're better. We're not, we're just different. We have the same spirit. We, we have love. We have consciousness. It's all one same thing. We just have different bodies. Yeah, I think we also have this inherent wish to control everything around us, you know, and whether we're conscious of that or not, it's the ego speaking here again, as you would say, but it's, we don't really have control of it. And when we think about animals having souls, when we think about animals loving, maybe it's just too much for us. Maybe it's too frightening for humankind to think in terms of equality with all this life around us. You know, I, I often sit and, well, and look out into the mountains and realize, you know, right now a bolt of lightning could come down and fry me or I could be washed away just like an ant being washed away by a garden hose. I'm just as vulnerable to nature as everything else in nature. Absolutely. You know, and I've learned, absolutely. you know, listening and watching my, my dog, for instance, one of the first things that occurs to me is that my dog does not live in anticipation of death. He loves me. But he right. doesn't live in anticipation of losing me. He doesn't live in anticipation of anything negative. He just lives in anticipation of what's happening next. And he lives a much more... F he's living in the present moment. He's free. They live in yes. the present moment. Absolutely. Right. They, there's a cute little, cute little book by Eckhart Tolle and Patrick O'Donnell. It's a little cartoon book called uh, Guardians, Guardians of Being. And, it, you know, it's just they're so joyful because they're right here, right now in the present moment. And that's where I found my bliss was learning to be in that present moment, particularly with suffering. As you see, veterinarians see so much suffering. Oh, it's yeah. just disturbing. It's just disturbing. We, you know, and the suicide rate all over the world for veterinarians is higher than the general public because we, we are exposed to so much graphic suffering. And, and how do we deal with it? Um, you know, Mark Beckoff told me that the reason we don't accept that animals are conscious and have souls and such is because then we'd have to look at how we treat them. Right. And um, so, <laughs> huh. you know, we, we have to be superior so we can do what we do, eat them and so on. Now, you know, the spiritual teachings talk about all of that. And um, for me, I just feel so grateful for uh, having done the research for my book because it helped me change my interior, which was agony. I was in a state of horrible agony uh, from the thoughts and images I saw in my head at night. I couldn't sleep. I mean, you know, it's just depressing, uh, veterinary medicine sometimes. And um, so, you know, the research really taught me how to find bliss. And let me explain. So there's all this suffering, right? 
there's my heart goes out right now to the Australian veterinarians who mm. are grieving with all these burned koalas and other animals killed and injured by the fire and and you know it's this tremendous devastation it's overwhelming for them you know so how how can how can you deal with that as a veterinarian how do you find peace with that well the ancient Taoists taught that the purpose of life is to transform suffering into wisdom and compassion mm. and so that's one of the things that I learned to do and it's by being present with the suffering rather than drinking or getting high or whatever to avoid it mm -hmm. face it be with it you know be present with it Ram Das always says that you know be present yeah. and Mother Teresa she was like suffering oh sweet suffering because there's this sweet spot in there where you let go of the physical and you just connect to the spiritual so what an example that I use is um, the teaching of equanimity. Equanimity is a teaching across religious teachings that talks about how you let go of your clinging for something to be the way you want it to be. And uh, also let go of aversion. I don't want to look at that. And you just be with it in peace. And so I've read about it and that sounds easy, but it's not. But I learned from this dog, okay, talk about the dogs teaching you. This stinky old golden retriever was brought to my house and it had a big tumor on its side and it was draining bloody serum all about the place. And everybody was telling his people that they, he, they needed to kill him. He needed to end his life and his suffering. But they looked in his eyes and they still saw all this love and they just couldn't do it, right? So they wanted my help. So I have to, as a veterinarian, we have to let go of aversion to gook. You know, we have to not go, ew, put it away, kill it. I don't want to look at it anymore. No, we have, to, we have to help the people. That's our duty. We have to help the animal. And so when I let go of my judgment about what's going on and I just am present with it, I connect with the spirit of the animal which feels just blissful. And then I connected with the spirit of the people who love this dog and they're sharing their joyful love that they, unconditional love that they shared. And it felt, oh, it felt wonderful, you know? And from there, I was moved to caring. Okay, now what can I do to help? And so I clipped and cleaned this tumor and I covered it with a big, I found a big absorbent abdominal wrap so we could cover it up and put a, a bandage around it that they could wash and reuse. Now people don't have to look at it, right? And you can just look at his happy face and his waggy tail. And, you know, I did some acupuncture and gave him some herbs and stuff, but everybody felt heard. You know, what's the hurry to kill the dog? You know, there's still time to share the love and say goodbye. The, the, the truth is we think the animal's suffering, but who's really suffering is us because we're judging it. Our judgment is mm. so painful. We want to quick bury it so we don't have to look at it. There's no, the dog is, is going to be fine, okay? He's still happy. He's still eating. He still loves his people. Time is short. Let's enjoy that rather than quickly. We're always telling everybody, hurry up, put that dog to sleep. It doesn't need to happen. If they want to, that's fine too. The animal, don't, they don't hold it against you. They love you no matter what because they don't have that judgment, that dual mind thought that we got when we ate the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, as the Bible puts it. We got this, this dual mind, this right-wrong. They didn't. 
They know you don't want them to walk through the carpet with their mud on, but on their feet, but they'll do it again tomorrow because they're not worried about it. Right. Right. Yeah. And you know, the, the thought of what you're describing, I mean, a veterinarian has to go through this process over and over and over again. And, you know, you found a, a solid basis, a, a, you know, a way to, to think your way and believe your way through this. It's, it's beautiful. And, but it shouldn't be lost in the mind of the pet owner either. I mean, I've known so many people who at, at the passing of a pet, of a dog, a cat, whatever, their grieving consists of a shutdown. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Like you said, I'm going to go get drunk or something. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to numb myself. When the reality is, in my mind, the greatest lessons of that relationship, just by virtue of what we are, the way we are as humans, the way we think, the greatest lessons often come during that grieving period. The greatest gifts right. that we get from the passing right. of that animal comes in hindsight of, oh my gosh, I never really considered how important this animal was to me and how this, this, this dog brought me unconditional love and lessons of selflessness and, and time wasted that I couldn't even teach to my own human children, you know, and it shouldn't be suppressed. It should be embraced, you know, if, if it means right. crying, if it means screaming into a canyon, but embrace it, think about it. Don't waste right. that precious gift that is just so vitally important. Right. And so like the Tibetans teach um, that after death, you can do this anytime after an animal dies, is imagine them turning in, you know, becoming white light. Imagine them, for example, I had to shoot my old horse. He's 34. Okay, nothing worked anymore. I love that horse more than anything. But he, he, he just was, everything was falling apart, right? Mm-hmm. And so we had to put him down. And so I imagined the place I shot him in the head turning into a unicorn horn and him turning into this white being and flying off like Pegasus and becoming one with divine white light, the pure light. And, and it's, a, it's an Im- image that you can do over and over again to help you not only release them, but feel complete with the end. Um, I mean, we have, we have lots of ways to mourn, but for that, for me, that one feels good. Um, I, I, you know, my husband always says, you're, Carlene, you're so used to death. You know, it doesn't bother me anymore because I don't believe in death. There is no death. And here's why. Here's what science says. Science says that uh, we only see about 5% of what exists. The other 95% is invisible. Furthermore, we know the 5% that we do see is mostly empty space. The only reason we see a table is because of the way our eyes interpret the light energy reflecting off the atomic particles of the table. And our brains translate that information and create the image of the table. So most everything is energy rather than matter. And then science also tells us that energy is neither created nor destroyed. It merely changes form. Therefore, most of what exists, the 95%, is invisible, non-physical, eternal, and transformative. So I ask you, if an archer shoots a bull elk in the heart and it dies, where did all that raging, running, bugling bull energy go? If science is correct, the energetic essence of that elk must live on. So 95% of us, we cannot see it. It's eternal, and that's what I call spirit. So I tell these people, I had a man, um, he was very upset at one of my talks at his 
he couldn't get over his dog dying and he, 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 he's trying to forget him. It's like, don't forget him. He's right there. He's just a happy memory away. All you have to do is think of him with love in your heart instead of sorrow and you connect. You know, he's walking with you on walks or maybe it's just photons of light that hit you on a cold day and warm you or a cool breeze on a hot summer day. I mean, they're not gone. They're somewhere else. They've transformed from this physical realm. But I, I, I you know, I, I was a raised Christian, Lutheran, mm. but I really be, started to believe in eternal life when I took science. That makes sense. I mean, especially when you get into the quantum physics and molecular science and such. I mean, you're right. I mean, you break down anything, matter or light itself into its simplest form, the atom that we can detect anyway. And it all is the same. Everything is the same. And the deeper we look and, into and the, the atom, atoms, mostly empty space. Right. The deeper we look into the atom, the less we find, you know, so there's nothing there. There's nothing there. So obviously <laughs> everything, no matter. everything, it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> everything there is, is no matter to matter about, right? right? Everything is ultimately relative and related. And where things get mucked up for us is by virtue of the way we think. Our ego, our belief systems, right. what we're taught, right. you know, um, absolutely, you know, and to me too, I mean, there is no death. There's only transition. You know, I, right. I, I, I sat at the deathbed of one of my best friends once and he's, you know, I, I said, I, I, I don't want you to go. He said, oh, but it's the ultimate journey and death is only the passing of a breath. That's it. It's mm -hmm. the passing of a breath mm -hmm. into something else, into something mm -hmm. that you don't see. And that's, that's the other point. I find myself speaking on a lot and writing on a lot these days is when I'm speaking about holistic medicine and holistic healing, too many of us are tied up into the physicality of our science and what we can validate, what we can scientifically right. validate. When the reality is, is that most of what exists around us in the universe is inexplicable by our science. We can't even explain mm -hmm. how our own immune system works completely, much less how the universe works or how an egg is fertilized or life is brought forth from a seed, you know, and we have to learn how to accept things that are undeniably true, yet inexplicable to our scientists. And I think animals help bring that right. to us. Absolutely. And, you know, I studied the history of science for my book and that's what really made me go, Oh my goodness. You know, the things we used to believe, and every five minutes, we change our story. Absolutely. Because there's, <laughs> I remember I was sitting on the office, my office floor, and I got up off my office floor. I had all these embryology books around me, and I was studying this theory. And I got up, and I went to Fort Lewis College. I drove up to the college. I went into my former professor, my former college professor's office, and I said, Dr. Summers, I just realized there's no such thing as a scientific fact. And he smiled, and in a slow southern accent, he said, that's right. There's only the current theory and, uh, and the prevailing evidence, which is constantly changing. And so it's, and you look at it, it's constantly changing throughout my veterinary career. You know, when I was in veterinary school, we learned, okay, we used to give corticosteroids for laminitis. Don't do that anymore because it causes laminitis. And it's like that endlessly. Eggs are good. Eggs are bad. Nutrition is yep. the worst. It's constantly changing. Oh, my Lord. 
Right. And so how are you supposed to do evidence-based medicine when it's so nebulous? Anyway, that's yeah. my rant on that subject. It's hard. Well, it also makes, you know, the, the veterinarian's <laughs> job is hard enough because of the compassion uh, deficit, the compassion recovery problems that you're, you described. Right. You have to deal with it so often. But when you get into holistic medicine, do things mm -hmm. get harder? I mean, you're looking mm -hmm. at the bigger picture now. You're not able to mm. just sign off on, you know, the predispositions of science anymore. You have to embrace a more natural perspective and accept things that your college teachers might not have even thought of, much less believed in. So does it, does, yeah. does, it, does it make it we're, harder? Well, it's interesting because you now we're dealing with energy medicine. Right. Okay. It's not physical medicine, acupuncture and herbs and um, homeopathy, things like that. We're dealing with energetic medicine and the energy happens first and then it becomes physical. So we get these animals that are all stuck up with these physical problems and, and you have to treat them, but often anxiety, aggression, um, and other emotions, those are not physical problems. Those are emotional problems. That's a non-physical thing. And what I love about Chinese medicine is each organ has a spirit. I lectured on this at the Chi Institute last year. It was wonderful. Six hours I lectured on the five spirits wow. of China. Uh, so there's the Shan, which is in the heart, and the Hun is the liver. That's the ethereal soul that goes back to heaven with the form of the body. And the Po is with the lung, and that goes down to the ground, down to the earth with the corporeal soul. And all these interactions of how the soul treats each other when you die the liver hun and the po lung separate. And so you'll get this animal that's both exhausted and anxious, you know, can't sleep, but it's, you know, can't move. And so it's a lung liver imbalance. So it's, you know, quite fascinating. But we're anyway, we're dealing with the spiritual part of the animal now, the energetic acupuncture works on the electromagnetic energy system of the body, which you know you have because you can get an EKG. If a person's in a coma, they do an electroencephalogram on the brain to measure the bioelectric energy. And if there's none, they consider them brain dead. And so the Chinese call that energy qi, spelled Q-I or, or C-H-I. And so we get to work with that. And so when I touch an animal now, I look in their heart, I feel their qi, I feel their, their spirit. And it's, it's really more fun. I just love it. I love it way more than regular veterinary medicine, but you know, both are important. If the dog's hit by a car, you got to go get surgery and emergency medicine. Right. But after they're recovering, they're going to have physical and spiritual problems. And that's where acupuncture is so wonderful. You know, a lot of people often wonder when they die, if they'll be reunited with all the animals in their lives. I wonder the same thing too. You know, knowing that animals do have a soul, knowing that they love us and, we love them and we share all these different things. Do you ever wonder, do you think that maybe when our time comes, we are reunited maybe into one, one place where there aren't any questions, there is no pain, there is no sorrow. Maybe, it, maybe it's momentary, maybe it's transitional to another life or something. But when we do have a sense that everything fits, everybody that we've known, every animal we've shared time with is there and part of us. Mm-hmm. I think they still are now, but I, I, I had a great, I have a great story in my book about that. Um, I had a client, um, she asked me to euthanize her dog. And when I did, she said, well, I feel better knowing where he's going because I died once. 
And I said, really? Tell me about it. Did you see any animals? Right. And she had, uh, she was house sitting uh, for some dogs and horses. And the neighbor called and said, the neighbor's horses. And it was a snowstorm. It was a blizzard. And so they were white horses and she wanted to get them off the road so she opened the gate for them to go through and when one went through it kicked back and bleeding to death she could feel her boot filling up with blood and she thought I only have a couple minutes here I got to get to the road so she was crawling to the county road and fortunately a man was driving by to take care of somebody's chickens and he saw her and she at that time she saw herself flowing among white horses going towards a light carrying a sword hmm. okay and then when this guy stopped in a bronco hmm. of all things he picked her up and when he picked her up she got slammed back into her body and when she got to the hospital she was dead again and they'd revive her and then they'd say things like who shot you why are you so skinny and all this stuff and she'd like mm, i don't want to stay here and she'd die again i mean they did electroshock heart massage everything oh, wow. finally you know transfused her finally I mean, she, and she saw everything happening like it was in a mirror. She saw the nurses were so upset and frantic that they, they couldn't get blood out of her vein. And the doctor came in and said, take it out of the wound, take it out of the wound. And one did, and then she threw it in the trash. She was so upset, right? Everybody was chaos. And so she watched all this like it was in a mirror. And then um, they got her stabilized and she had to go to surgery. And, um, uh, where the anesthesiologist, she said his energy was as sweet as it was on the other side, that he held her head and he held her feet and kept her grounded here. But she was with a council of people who said, you know, you can go back if you want, or you can stay here. And she chose to come back. But um, yeah, she saw these white horses and, you know, there's that, that, um, you know, in Revelation, Jesus rides a white horse carrying a sword, and it's the same thing in Hinduism. Mm. The sixth avatar of Vishnu is um, Kalki, and Kalki rides a white horse carrying a sword to smite sinners and, and rescue the righteous. I mean, it's the same. That's one of the things I've learned by studying all these different beliefs is that they're all trying to say the same thing using different images and different vocabulary mm. based on their environment, what they're used to. And, you know, we get all upset about these, you know, the semantics of the beliefs, the details, the devil's in the details. But in general, they're talking about love and eternal life and all these beautiful things. So, um Yes, I totally believe, and, and there's many other, I've read many books on near-death experiences, and they talk about uh, seeing animals. In fact, even Alexander, did you read his book, Proof of Heaven? No, I have not seen that one. He was a, uh, he's, he's a neurosurgeon, and he got an E. coli infection on his brain and was brain dead. Now, the scientists all tell us that we, uh, all these images we see, these near-death images, our brain creates that. But his brain could not. It was right. dead. He right. had no EEG. He was dead. And he, he can, says he can convince any scientist of this with data from his doctors. But he did see a dog. So, you know, I totally believe that uh, the non-physical realm is just as real and just as present. It's just beyond the veil that our senses block us from experiencing. Some people do see it, right? Clairvoyance and such. They see it some of it, 
you know, they see our, you know, people's imaginary friends and that little children, they're very much uh, less shrouded by this veil than we are, these are adults. So the animals and the little children, they're pretty, they're pretty eager, easy going in and out of this spirit realm. Shamans can go in and out. They travel between both worlds. And uh, then there's the rest of us. What about cats? I get the impression cats, cats kind of live inside or one paw in and one paw out of the plane that we live in. It just seems like they're always deep in contemplation or staring at a spot on the wall or something between between the horizon. Yeah, there's, and, I mean, it's just, they're interesting. I, I wonder where they're. Yeah. And I've had a number of veterinarians tell me that, you know, during euthanasia, if you watch the other, if you let the other animals be present and you watch, sometimes they kind of look off like, oh, yeah. there he goes, you know. Yeah. Wow. But, um, and there's a cat that was in that old people's home, the geriatric home, where the cat would always sort of hang out in the room of the person that was going to die very soon. And I think they like that energy of the other, you know, that ve- when the veil starts to fall and they're kind of hanging hmm. with that blissful energy, like you said, where there's no shame. And that's what the woman said who got kicked by the horse. She said, it was bliss, you know, being dead. There's no shame, blame, pain, guilt, fear. All of that is gone. Yep. And so she was like, you know, it's bliss being dead. <laughs> Coming back, that was hard. But, wow. you know, I think there is that place. And, yep. But, you know, we're here to do something. We signed up. This is what the clairvoyance and, and such tell me. You're, you begged to come here. You wanted to come here. You wanted to come here and be a veterinarian. You wanted to do this, and you begged for it, and you got it. Not everybody gets to. And so be grateful. Do good work. Be happy. You know, be of good cheer and spread it. And it's hard. Oh, my gosh. You know, I I suffer times too, but now I have tools after studying all these religious beliefs, you know, my meditation practice, chanting mantras, praying. I mean, all of these things are so therapeutic and so helpful for calming the mind. The thoughts torture us. Our thoughts torture us. It's a tool, this brain, and it runs us. And the nice thing about these spiritual teachings is it teaches you how to get a little bit of control over that tool. And that has helped me so much. It's just absolutely amazing stuff. The name is Dr. Carlene Stange. The book is called The Spiritual Nature of Animals, a country vet explores the wisdom, compassion, and souls of animals. And I'm assuming that's available. I know it's available through Amazon and online booksellers, mm-hmm. and probably through yep. all the major your favorite bookstore. I highly recommend this book. It'll open up your mind. It will answer a lot of of questions, but also really help you find comfort. And believe me, folks, what you already know about your relationship yeah. with your animals. It's it's just absolutely amazing. Carlene, I hope you'll come back on to your vital pet really soon. This is wonderful. I really look forward to working with you some more. Anytime. I love working with you, Greg. And thanks for your book. I still use it all the time, Herbs for Pets. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you very much. You take care of yourself and keep loving those animals. Will do. You too. Thank you.
Bye, Greg. Bye. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to stay tuned into your favorite podcast browser for the next episode of Your Vital Pet, where we illuminate and explore that special, powerful relationship between people and companion animals, and where you will learn new ways to bring health, happiness, and a long life to your pet. I'm Greg Tilford. Talk with you soon.